0: lesson number three, delegating authority. Uh, These lessons have been a little bit more difficult than anything I've written to try to categorize and organize. So we're kind of reviewing things over and over again and hitting some of the same themes from different angles. But This concept of authority is very important and necessary, so I have just got to trust that as I write it, you're able to get something by the Spirit of God and be changed by it. So let's review some of the bullet points from the previous two lessons. Let's redefine authority again, or define it again, not redefine it. Uh, The right, authority is the right or power to make decisions, to give orders and to enforce obedience. Authority is the right or power to make decisions. Uh, Sometimes we've been given authority and we're afraid to make a decision with it. Often fear is what plays into our failure with authority. We're afraid to make the hard decision. Really what it comes down to is we're afraid to upset somebody. If you're afraid to upset people, you will never be a leader, not in, on your job, not in the military, not in a church, not in the kingdom, not in your family. So we cannot be afraid to make a decision. Sometimes you make the wrong one, but at least you can eliminate it off the list. I just saw an article. It caught my eye because this man got to meet the author of a book. He wanted to meet the author of this book. He said, Your book saved my life. And the author wanted to know, Well, how did my book save your life? It was just kind of a dumb novel. He said, I had it with me when I got lost in a cave. And as I explored the cave, I tore off a page and put it at the opening of every dead end. And they had the picture of the book. They had like 150 pages torn out of it. He went. He went the wrong way 150 times, but at least he knew which way was not the right way. Once he was done, or you can just sit there and be afraid to go anywhere, which is really what a lot of people do when they have been given leadership. I joke with other folks that just put on sunglasses and march like you know where you're going, and people will follow you. And you figured it out as you go. Authority has three limiters: the domain, that is the territory; the scope, that is the work accomplished or needed to be accomplished and then a time limit. Nobody gets to be in charge forever. Even great grandpa eventually just has the domain of his rocking chair, and that's it. And then he goes home to heaven. The premier purpose of authority is to create and maintain peace and harmony wherever men are found. That authority is given to every one of us in our home, in our car, in our cubicle, on that part of the assembly line. Wherever you and I are, we have the authority to create and maintain peace. The problem for a lot of people is they're too cowardly to speak up and do something. And as a head of home, as a father and a husband, your job is to make sure your home has peace and harmony. If you're too cowardly to speak up, your wife will inadvertently take over the steering wheel. Then you'll, you'll begrudge her the fact that she has proven to be more of a man than maybe you are. And then you'll call her a Jezebel because she's doing what you're too cowardly to do. And it doesn't make her a Jezebel. She just doesn't want her family to wreck. Every person who has authority has authority to create and maintain peace and harmony wherever they are found or people are found. So honestly, if you want to see, if you want to understand the breakdown of cities, the breakdown of counties, the breakdown of countries, it's because of corrupt authority. It also lets you know the demonic spirit behind defund the police because police are authorized to create and maintain peace. So when you defund them, you are asking demons to invade your city, your neighborhood, your nation, and it causes everybody else to suffer. Amen. Authority must be stewarded. That's what we covered in the last lesson. Possessing authority creates immediate responsibility. And a lot of people don't want the responsibility. They just want the fruit of the responsibility. That responsibility is to create and maintain peace and harmony. So please hear me. Every one of you have been given some measure of authority, and you can create peace and harmony wherever you go. Now, I can't create peace and harmony in the White House because not, I'm not over that. But I can create peace and harmony over this church and over my home. And those two places run with a lot of peace and harmony. My children wake up in peace. They go to bed peace. Sheep come to this church in peace. They depart in peace. And anytime anything raises its head, that wants to bring chaos or confusion, if it's under my domain, it is my responsibility to deal with it, squish it, squash it, crush it, root it out, tear it down, and plant peace and harmony in its place. If you have any chaos under you, it is your fault. If you have any disharmony, discord, strife, stress, it is your fault and your responsibility to fix it. If you don't fix it, nobody can fix it for you. All somebody can do is say, hey, listen, if I were you, I would use your authority to fix it. So this brings us to our new lessons here or our new parts. No one has their own authority, and we need to get that through our thick skull. Some people think that they they are God's gift to the earth and they want to operate in and of themselves, but nobody has their own authority. All authority is delegated, and we need to really keep that in mind. Any authority I have has been given to me. Any authority you have has been given to you. And if we're not careful, we forget that and we get in trouble with God. All authority is on loan. If you have any authority, it is only because someone with more authority than you has given it to you. This is the river of authority principle we covered in the first lesson. All authority begins with God and is then passed down to man or mankind. Women certainly have authority They just don't have authority over everything, just like not all men have authority over everything. No man has authority over everything. Even the President of the United States only has authority over the U.S., and then he has a balance of power so that he can't just do anything he wants. When a boss promotes you, he gives you more of his authority. When a father promotes you, he gives you more of his authority. When a church leader promotes you, you are given more of their authority. When the government promotes you, you are given more of its authority. That would include the military. When the military promotes you, you are just given more authority in the military. If you're a Marine, you're given Marine authority, not Naval authority. If you're at Walmart, you're given Walmart authority, not Kmart authority. If you're given Cookville police authority, you're given Cookville police authority, not Baxter police authority. And so even the authority, though it's a step up, it is still limited in its domain. It's limited in its scope, and it's limited for a time of service. Matthew 8, 9 demonstrates this principle with the Roman centurion. He had Roman authority, and he had centurion authority. He did not have senatorial authority, nor did he have emperor authority. But the centurion said, I am a man under authority. And because of that, he had soldiers under him. So he see, you see the instant chain of command. I am a man under authority. In the Roman government, you had emperor, senator, centurion. That was it. And then you had all the soldiers under the centurion. The centurion was over 100 soldiers. So he reports directly to a senator, and the senator reports directly to Caesar. He says, I'm a man under authority, and because I have authority, I have soldiers under me. And because we're just going to insert this, because I have authority, I can say to this man, go and he goes. Why would he send him to go do something? For peace and harmony, to accomplish a purpose. And I say to another, come and he cometh. Why? To accomplish peace and harmony and get the job done. And to this, my servant, do this, and he does it. So there's a difference. He has centurions, and then he has a servant, which was typically another soldier captured in war who has now become a slave. But even that slave, who is also a military combatant, knows to submit to this man. This is, this is authority in one verse, and it really is amazing how our nation has forgotten it, and we think we're all equal. We have equal rights and equal protection under the law, but we are not all equal. By the sheer concept of authority, we're not all equal and never will be. Never, ever will any of us ever be equal. I go to Walmart. I submit to the 17-year-old girl running the cashier stand. I go to Starbucks. I submit to whoever has the face piercings and the blue hair asking me for $8 for a cup of coffee. I submit because they have authority over me in Starbucks land. But if she comes to this church, I'm going to exercise my dominion over her, because this is my domain. I don't exercise dominion over Pastor Scott's church, Pastor Bobby's church, Pastor Jason's church, this other Pastor Scott's church, Pastor Steve's church. I don't have dominion over that. We're not equal. So I want us to kind of wrap our minds around that in America as we're fighting for a phantom equality. We already have equality under the law and equal protection under it. All this other stuff is Marxist propaganda to get us to hate each other. Authority is designed to be be distributed, not withheld. And this is an important concept when it comes to our leadership in our personal lives. This is because the burden of authority is often too heavy and the assignment for which it has been given too great for one person to accomplish. Authority is not designed to be bottlenecked behind an insecure control freak. Authority is designed to be delegated. Mamas are wise to use their authority and delegate it to children to help maintain the home. In fact, this is brilliant wisdom because it helps the children learn how to maintain a home when they will one day be promoted into their own home. You don't have kids to treat them like princesses and princes you have kids to plow a field. For 6,000 years, we had kids to plow a field so they could learn how to eat when they left the home one day. The last 40 years has seen our culture have children to pamper them. And I'm not going to make a creation and then have it tell me what to do. Not unless they've been promoted to a place of authority in life and I have to submit to that authority. But in my home, my creations don't tell me what to do some of you parents should hear that you made them in the throes of passion you made them and then in a fit of stupidity you teach them how to tell you what to do and maybe you through your emotions think you can tell God what to do God made us we don't tell him what to do he's the maker and when you look at your children you got to remind them I am the maker My friend told his boys, I made you, I can make another. Don't ever mistreat your mother again. I think he meant it too. Like, I will kill you and make another. That's what God told Moses time and time again. I will destroy this people and make another. So just keep that in mind when it comes to failing your children by letting them think they are equal to you. Why is it so quiet? Are you failing in that direction already? They've not even hit teenage years yet. Just wait till they look you eye to eye without standing in a chair. There will be hell to pay and it will be your fault. All right. It is good preaching. The need for power delegation further proves the purpose of authority to create and maintain peace. Every leader is required by God to use the peace in their possession to create and maintain peace. Now remember, if you can't use that first authority to create and maintain peace in between your ears, that is your mind, your will, and your emotions, you won't ever be stable enough to create and maintain peace in a marriage or to create and maintain peace with children or to create and maintain peace in a household. And probably on your job, you're going to be really poor at creating and maintain peace over stocking shelves or over a zone or over an assembly line or over the movement of widgets or whatever your job may be. When you're squirrely at home, you're squirrely on the job and when you're squirrely on the job you stay at the bottom rung of the ladder because home proves your ability to be entrusted with another man's authority it's also why you should teach your children to submit to your authority and then exercise dominion over their room and over their emotions and over their body because nobody's going to hire the stinky messy kid at least not keep them for very long Let's look at Moses, the archetype leader. By archetype, we mean the very first principle and pattern. If we evaluate Moses as the biblical archetype of delegated executive authority, many patterns become apparent and applicable. If you think about it in terms of your overall Bible knowledge, Moses is the first executive leader of God's people in the Bible. Abraham is not the first executive leader. Abraham was a father of faith. He had purchased possessions, slaves under him. We wouldn't even say Noah. He's just a dad over a household, total of eight people in a boat. Moses is the first executive. He's the first leader over a nation of people. So he becomes the premier and first pastor. He becomes the premier and first president, the premier and first king, or really we'd say judge. He's the first uh, preacher. In a sense, and Noah called a preacher of righteousness in the New Testament. But as far as being a person over God's people, Moses is it. So we see a lot of patterns arise when we look at this through the law of first mention. We would do well to study his example if we hope to enjoy the blessings of peace and ultimately the honor of promotion. And let me let me stop there, because these phrases are going to come out again and again as I write the next couple lessons and we teach them. The purpose of all authority is to create and maintain peace. And if you don't have it, please know it's just an example of failed stewardship. You must maintain peace in your soul first. And it doesn't matter if you're in a terror attack, which I have been through. It doesn't matter if you have broken bones. It doesn't matter if you've suffered loss. You must exercise dominion over your soul first. And from that extends all other promotions in life. Nobody promotes a squirrely Shirley. Nobody promotes a person who falls apart at the drop of a hat and weeps and sobs. Nobody promotes somebody who can't even command their own act to come together. David fell apart. We're not against falling apart, but in a moment of emotional breakdown, He encouraged himself in the Lord. He exercised the same dominion he had perfected over soldiers to himself. If he would command soldiers, get your act together, boy. That's what he did when they wanted to kill him. He said, get your act together. He encouraged himself in the Lord. I want us to recognize that Jesus Christ has given us peace. And if we lose it, we have really nothing to draw the world to us. And it really is a shame to be born-again spirit-filled and our minds still be chaotic and our homes still be chaotic and our marriages be chaotic. We ought to have the fruit of the Spirit called peace working in our lives and we have the authorization to create it and maintain it. Moses' ministry presents several leadership keys to consider in our endeavors to create and maintain peace in our lives. So number one, let's look at this as a pattern for our life. Moses was authorized by God to lead God's people into peace. He takes them out of slavery and bondage, and his calling is to lead them into peace. There's the authorization. He tried to use fear to excuse himself from this responsibility. Horrible idea. You need to understand that God knows in advance when he comes to us to authorize us and command us, he knows exactly every emotion that's going to be activated, and yet he still comes to us. So fear is not a justifiable excuse. In fact, to use fear as an excuse angers God. You see that here, and you see that in the parables of the steward, in the talents, where it says, I knew you were an austere man, and I was afraid, so I went and hid all the things you gave me to steward. And the master said, You wicked and unprofitable servant. Fear does not get patted or doted. Fear gets rebuked. But then again, that's what we should have been doing to fear. We should have been rebuking it. His excuse to only anger God, our assignment is also bigger than our personal fear. Now what if that assignment is simply having a child? What if that assignment is taking the next promotion? We we don't get to use fear as an excuse. When God promotes us, it's going to tickle fear in our life because it's a step up and it's something we've never been to or done before. So push through it. Do it afraid. If God commanded you, you can do it because he's not unjust to command us to do something impossible without him or with him. Number 2. God sent Moses help in the form of his brother Aaron. Moses delegated authority to his brother and Aaron served as a translator. An intermediary. So we see the very first thing when God calls a leader, we're all leaders in some capacity, God also calls a helper. That helper instantly gets a portion of our delegated authority to be authorized to help us. I think it's it's cool because instantly in the same conversation, Moses says, I'm afraid. God says, I'll give you a helper and he'll be authorized to help you He won't tell you what to do. You'll tell him what to do. You'll delegate part of the vision and part of the responsibility. He'll help you fulfill the vision. And we see in the same ordination of service, the anointing to call someone to help and the anointing to help. And so from that, we see God will likewise send us the help we need. We must be sure to delegate a portion of our authority so that the help can actually help. Don't be a micromanager. Micromanagers are hated by everybody. Micromanagers are control freaks. I think we all understand what a micromanager is. They hover over every person. If you've given them authority, let them do their thing. Yes, you'll have to come along every once in a while and check in and and tweak it, but don't hold their hand while they're doing it the rest of their doing of it. Check in on them and set them free. Number three. Peace was not obtained by Moses the first nine attempts. That is, liberation. Let my people go. And Pharaoh would say, no. That the battle, the attempt to obtain and maintain peace was nine attempts. And we, we view it as in like nine visits to the palace in the same day. But it probably lasted weeks. Because you've got to be able to destroy crops and investigate what's been destroyed. You gotta be able to destroy cattle in a nation and investigate what's been destroyed among the cattle. You gotta be able to take inventory that everybody in your empire is covered with lice and fleas and everybody has boils. This, this doesn't happen in nine visits to the palace in an afternoon. So this is a couple weeks, maybe two or three months of uh, what would we call diplomacy Finally, after the 10th plague, liberty was obtained, and so from that we see we'll not always easily obtain the peace we've been commanded to acquire, but God will not allow us to quit. If your household is a mess, you're not going to fix it today. You're going to start to fix it today, and it's going to get loose tomorrow, and you're going to tighten it a little bit tighter tomorrow, and on Tuesday, it's going to get loose again, and you're going to tighten it even further. We, as charismatics and word-of-fakers, we want to be able to point our finger to the mountain, speak to it once. When it doesn't work, we think, well, it wasn't meant to be, and we become Calvinists. It's predestined to be a mess, not realizing we've been given authorization to command, to command. We have uh, Alexander with us, a Marine. Alexander, how long does it take to make a Marine a Marine? Very Very long time. Does it happen the first day when you go, nope, or the second day? or the third day or the fourth week. And those DIs, those drill instructors, they just keep chewing them and keep chewing them and keep chewing them until they get it. Same with the kingdom, same with your household, same with your marriage, same with your body, same with your mind, same with your flesh. One thing is for sure, if we don't ever exercise our domain, things don't change. In fact, because of the laws of thermodynamics, things will decay when we get lazy. Our mind will fall apart. Our body will fall apart, our money will fall apart, our household will fall apart. Uh, I've shared with you uh, 12, 13 years ago, I had the spirit of death visit me and tell me I was going to die in seven years. That started a very intense six-month battle with depression. I've never dealt with depression. This thing was a demon that came to visit me in my bedroom when we still lived in the apartment over off of Stephen Street. And it spoke to me in a very supernatural way that says, in seven years you will die a martyr for the kingdom. And so the question comes, how do you fight a biblical experience? How do you use scripture to curse the Bible? That's why it took six months to beat the thing. Because if it said, you will die of cancer, I'd have laughed at it and never paid a second thought to it. But it kept coming to me for months. And I had to go to my pastor many times. I had to spend a lot of time in prayer and fasting. I had to encourage myself out of the depths of a tar that just absolutely oppressed me. And uh, finally, I, I got the victory over it. And the Lord showed me, that was January. The Lord showed me in October of that year that it was a spirit of death sent to minister to me and talk me into death. And so I beat that whole thing about 2010, 2011. Well, it has tried to come back and visit me a few times since then. And as odd as it may sound, I can smell the spirit of death when it comes. I can hear it. I I can't explain that to you. I've just become very familiar with this thing, having dealt with it. So even, even the last two years working on this botany book, that demon came back and said, once you finish the book, you will finish your race and go home. And I remember working on the book going, you're an idiot. I just talked to the air. You're an idiot. We already dealt with you 10 years ago, so why don't you just go back to hell? Go, go find somebody else who doesn't know how to rebuke you. My point is, it takes maintenance. Yes. I beat it. It wants to come back. Sure. So I just beat it again. Yes. This doesn't stop to the day you decide to go home. And then you can take your last breath and enter into your eternal peace. Because until then, you've got to contend for peace. Amen. If you don't contend for it, you're not going to have any. We just we want to take a pill and be peaced. We want to smoke a joint and have peace. It doesn't work that way. This thing takes work. Amen. Amen. Point number four Moses' first real victory was instantly met with more opposition at the Red Sea. Like, oh three months of di- diplomatic cursing. And we, we finally get to go free. Woohoo! And then there's an ocean. And the army's behind us because they woke up to find all their firstborn dead like I told them they would be dead if they didn't let us go. What do we do now? His authority and vision did not waver. And what did he do? He stood at the Red Sea and lifted up the rod, which represents his authority over the nation, the tribal rod. He lifted up his authority and commanded this to move too. And it did. God made a way through the Red Sea. Our victories will be met with new opposition. So guess what? There's no rest from our responsibility. There's only rest in our soul and rest for our home. But this thing is some constant work. Just like as soon as you f- finish building a house, Robert, you got to turn around and do what? Find another contract, break ground, hire more subcontractors and get to building the next house. It doesn't stop. But you enjoy the fruit of your labor along the way. And all that hard work buys a beautiful home that you can go home and rest in. I'm telling you, you can see how welfare and socialism and Marxism is so palatable to a lazy society. God will make a way if we will use our authority to obtain and maintain peace. Number five, the exodus entered new phases requiring new plans and new help. And this is where we see Moses' authority begin to be delegated elders were appointed to oversee the tribes now that we have egypt behind us we got to start to bring the nation up it's it's an infant stage when you're getting a people out of slavery but now you have peace now you have to begin to organize and you can't run or oversee 2 million people by yourself so you pick out elders whom you know to be elders who the people know to be elders to help you communicate and delegate among the tribes then god wants a house of worship built so we got to uh, create a building crew That wants to help construct the tabernacle. That's delegated authority, delegated wealth production. Then Aaron was appointed as a high priest because now that you have a tabernacle, you have to have someone who's a priest over it. So now we promote clergy or ecclesiastical duties. And then we have enemies. So then Joshua gets delegated authority. He becomes a military general. He runs security for the new nation. He takes a bunch of soldiers out to fight the Amalekites and wins victories. And then before long, well, we've got peace. And so when people have peace, they have time to complain. This is where our nation is, neck deep. Just complain about everything. Everybody's making up new rights and then complaining about having them infringed. We're so desperate to find wrongdoing in our nation, we fabricated this malarkey called microaggressions. You looked at me wrong. It's a microaggression. Proves you're racist. I just happened to look at you because I was walking across the street and wanted to make sure you saw me. I kind of feel like it's a microaggression when I'm stalked. I'm about to pull out of the green light and somebody's walking across the street and they see me and they slow down on purpose. Doesn't that feel like a microaggression? In the end, I don't care because I'm not a petty human being. I'm not going to let some idiot rob my peace because they want to walk slower. I'm the one in the car. They're the one that has to walk. I'm blessed. They're lazy. I shouldn't say lazy. At least it wasn't a hover-round. You can tell our nation is retarded because we have to fabricate the concept of microaggression to feel like we're victims. Judges were appointed to adjudicate disputes. Judges, 120 of them, because every tribe was going to create issues. Moses' calling granted him authority to fulfill that assignment. Moses' calling, that was to lead a nation, granted him the authority necessary to fulfill that assignment. That assignment was too big for that man. And so the authority instantly becomes delegated in a hundred directions, and really a thousand directions, so that the people can have peace and dwell safely. Why do you have judges? To oversee disputes, because there's a tension between people, and the words of a judge settle things once and for all even judicial oversight, is to bring about peace among disputes. And we don't get to take the law into our own hands. We have cops and we have judges that help oversee the law so that we can live quiet and peaceable lives. Why do we have a military? So we can live quiet and peaceable lives. Why do we have traffic laws? So that we can go from A to B and live a quiet, peaceable life. The calling also drew people to him, but those people had to be had to then be organized and commanded before they could be a help. Just because you have people around you doesn't mean they know how to help. The same anointing that draws people also authorizes the leader to organize and command. It is possible to have people under you and never command them, and it's possible to command people that are under your authority. That's a busybody, a nosy-rosy, a Jezebel, or just some jerk. So let's talk about authorized leadership in several areas of our life. And again, I pray that these truths, these patterns, these spiritual laws are are, are opening your eyes to what maybe you can do better in your life, wherever God finds you, wherever God has you. Wherever you're at, God wants to promote you up. Because the higher a Christian, a righteous Christian, can go, the greater an influence he or she can have in society, and the more peace can be distributed among the pagans. It's easier to get people born again in a peaceful society than it is a a violent, hate-filled, protesting society. When there's a peace that rules down from high places of authority, it's easier for people to give their life to Christ because the atmosphere is charged with the gospel. When there's always tension and fighting and wrangling, It's a horrific hellhole, and there won't be much conversions. Authorized leadership. Leading is the ability to utilize the authority given to accomplish the assignment at hand. I'll read it again. Leading is the ability to utilize the authority given to accomplish the assignment at hand. It is possible to be authorized to lead and fail to lead. It's possible to have that authorization and fail it. Case in point, you think of a police officer. A traffic officer who is authorized to catch speeders, but he doesn't want to. He has the authority. He has the blue lights. He has the spike strips. He can, has authorization for high-speed pursuits. He has a gun. He has a stun gun. He has a taser. He has a shotgun. He has an assault rifle. He can, he can stop crime, or he can be like those guys down in Uvalde who didn't do anything when those kids were massacred. That's extreme. An extreme example, but what about you as a father who has authorization to command his household into paths of righteousness, but you would rather just watch sports or play video games? Authorized to lead a wife into greatness and children into holiness, and would just rather play college kid the rest of your life. Make for a miserable wife and weird kids. And this is why we don't marry, ladies, we don't marry lazy men. We don't marry game addicts, we don't marry porn addicts, we don't make drug addicts or alcohol addicts. You don't marry these kind of men because then you're bound to them the rest of your life and it's all miserable. If In most scenarios, failed leadership will eventually be replaced. You, you take a woman who's married to a porn addict and a drunkard and a lazy addict. He'll, she'll eventually leave him and replace him. And you could do the same thing with a wife, a wife who, is, who abandons the household. I, who was I just talking to? A friend of mine... I have so many, I talk to so many people every week, a friend of mine, their spouse abandoned them for months at a time, um, or a friend of mine, their friend, a spouse abandoned them for months at a time. And eventually the spouse just disappeared for the sixth, seventh, 10th time for four or five months. You just sue for abandonment, and divorce them. They're not even in the covenant anymore. It's a broken covenant. Failed leadership will be replaced. Failed leadership will be replaced. Failed leadership will be replaced. Even if your children are stuck under you the rest of your life, when they get married, they will find someone totally the opposite of you, and they will replace you in their heart. A little girl will marry someone the total opposite of her failed daddy. And a little boy will marry someone the total opposite of his his failed mama. That's just how it be. All leaders, especially failing leaders, should look to to delegate a measure of their authority to subordinates, and allow them to help. If you're struggling, look to the people God has given you and delegate a measure of your authority so they can help you. Mamas should look to utilize their children if their children are capable. That is, they're walking. Even three-year-olds can take their clothes to the laundry. Even three-year-olds can pick up their room. Even three-year-olds can put some dishes away. I'm raising adults. I'm not raising kids to be pampered and doted on. i got to raise them up to be successful human beings, not social media influencers. <laughs> man. Consider how and why authority is delegated in the following scenarios, and we've got to burn through this quick. Family. Successfully leading a family through life. When a man takes a wife, she takes him as a husband as well. We want to be clear on that. He is granted authorization to lead her. And he leads her in the vision, the direction for their life. The wife is given authority to be governess of the home. Husbands should step back and let his wife be the governess of their home. Mothers-in-law need not apply. Mother-in-laws can be the worst people for your family. I mean, like the absolute worst. Especially if the son is still breastfeeding from mama. And that's messed up. He's still swinging from her apron strings. And that's my baby boy. Y'all are messed up. It's gross. It's weird. The wife is given authority to be governess of the home, not mother-in-law. As their family grows, authority is delegated to the man to be a father and to the wife to be a mother to the children. Any grandparent entering the household is under the father's authority. Hopefully he has the backbone to remind her of that. You're under my authority. And any grandmother entering the home is also under the wife's authority. Because she's the governess of the home. When my mom enters my home, she's under my wife's authority. Now, when I go to my mom and dad's house, I'm under their authority. Because that's their home. This is simple to me. This is so common sense. When I go to Pastor Scott's church, I'm under his authority, even though we're equal in Christ in churches. When he's in my church, he's under my authority. All these guest ministers that come to minister for us, submit to me. Dr. Barclay says, son, what would you like me to touch on? What do I need to stay away from? How can I help you? I'm here to help you, son. Dr. Hanner, Dr. Jacobs, Pastor uh, Pittman, they all submit to me because this is my authority. And then I usually say, do whatever you want, sir. We have you here to be a father to us. And I delegate to them for the domain, which is our service, the scope, which is to help us. And for the time, that's the service that night and everything runs beautifully. The problem is when a Jezebel grandma thinks she trumps her daughter-in-law. Mother-in-laws never trump their daughter-in-law. What, are you crazy? Like, why do you think you have authority over your daughter-in-law? Because you're old? Careful there, grandma. They're going to put you in a home one day and not visit you. (laughs) And you'll be sucking jello through a straw, wishing... Your daughter-in-law that you mistreated would bring the kids to come see you. All right. Oh, happy on that one. Any grandparent entering the household is under the father's authority. We would add the mother's as well. Children may grow and earn authority to help in the home. The end goal is to create and maintain peace in the home as the family grows and lives life. If there isn't any peace, if there's strife and tension, it becomes authority's responsibility to resolve that. Put out the scorner and the strife will cease. Righteousness demands that any breakdown in peace be remedied by the authority ASAP. Any breakdown must be remedied ASAP. How about education? Because this pattern that we're teaching applies to every area of our life. Education, education management over a classroom. As the class grows, the teacher may require the assistance of a teacher's aid. If the one-room schoolhouse continues to grow, the first teacher may become the principal overseeing a new five-room school with five separate teachers and a janitor under her. We can see kind of country folk. We want to start with a small church and expand our example here. The end goal is to create and maintain peace in that school as the students are educated. Righteousness demands that any breakdown in peace be remedied by the authority ASAP. Teachers or the principal oversees the classrooms The teachers oversee the classrooms. The principal oversees the teachers, the teachers the classrooms. The janitor oversees the custodial work. The superintendent oversees the schools. We see the chain of command, but the whole purpose is that kids can have peace while they're being educated. Now this is all a mess today and I understand it, but this is theoretical, it isn't practical anymore because teachers don't get to educate. They just babysit weird kids from weird families who are hooked on social media. I like what Dr. Shayla said a couple years ago when we interviewed her about her education, as a, or her, her career as an educator. She said, I love the idea of what I get to do. I just don't get to do it. I love the idea that I can be an educator and, and instruct middle school kids. But she told us, I just don't get to do it. I don't get to educate kids anymore. I babysit them, make sure they don't kill each other. Or her. In Sparta. We're not talking the Bronx. Sparta. How about police? This is dealing with the law enforcement over a city or a town. As the city or town grows, it may be divided into precincts because you get to be too big. Our police here is about 75, 80. Uh, the police in New York City is like uh, 80,000. I think that's accurate 80,000 cops in New York City. That's three times the size of Cookful or twice the size of Cookville's 40,000, it's twice our population overseeing New York City. That's a lot of people, it's a lot of cops. So you gotta divide it up into precincts. Those precincts may then be further policed by traffic cops, patrol cops, and detectives who will require management and oversight. The end goal is to create and maintain peace in those precincts as people go about their lives. Righteousness demands that any breakdown of peace be remedied by the authority ASAP. Consider what police do. Anytime there's a breakdown in peace in our city, it's called in and the police are dispatched to quell violence, crime, sin, assault, so that the city can go back to peace. Apply that to the house. Should not every violation of peace be dispatched to mom or dad 911, and then they deal with it so the household can return to peace. How come our police are better than our parents? They rush to the emergency to save a life or stop violence. And when violence succeeds, then they investigate it to figure out what went wrong. And they catch the bad guy and punish the bad guy. There should be punishments in your home. Mother-in-law is not above being punished. If I go to Pastor Scott's church, that's his home, and I'm out of order, I will be punished. I will be rebuked and put out. When the children are small, you wear their bum out, put them in their room. You punish them till they repent. I've told my parents many times, if you don't obey my rules, you lose grandkid privileges. We say it half jokingly, but half serious. When the kids were younger, my mom thought she could get away with a lot of stuff. We'd drive through Knoxville, and my kids would say, that's where Bo took us to get donuts twice last week. That's where Bo took us to get ice cream. They would just tell on Bo everywhere. I had to tell my mom, my kids talk, and they bring us everything. So you will always be in trouble, young lady. Do you understand me? church, ecclesiastical care over a local flock. As the flock grows, elders and deacons may be appointed to help care for the needs of the congregation. If the congregation of the flock continues to grow, it may be split in order to start a new assembly in another part of town with a separate authorized pastor, elders, and deacons. The end goal is to create and maintain peace for the congregation as the saints serve. And our disciple, righteousness demands that any breakdown in peace be remedied by the authority ASAP. We have peace in this church because we stay on top of strife. And anybody that walks in that looks like they're going to be troublemaker, we meet them, we deal with them, and we let them know, listen, you're welcome to attend here, but we like the peace we have. I don't collect people because I have an ego. So if you don't want peace, go away. If you want peace, stay, but don't, don't muck up our watering hole here. We like what we're drinking. Businesses, business management over a local store or business. As an entrepreneur's basement startup grows, he will need to hire helpers. And he'll need that help to manufacture his product and eventually move into a larger location. One exceptional employee will be promoted to manage the other newer workers so that the visionary can continue to produce work and grow the business. Most businesses never move beyond startup phase because it's too much of a faith stretch and too much of letting go and no longer micromanaging. So they will stay basement businesses forever. I like to use the quote, Walmart puts mom and pop shops out of business because Walmart got their act together and outgrew being mom and pop shop. Walmart's success indicts the little guy who is too lazy to grow or maybe should have never been in business in the first place. Not everybody has a business owner's grace. I, think, I don't know what the statistic is. One time I think I heard it was 80% of uh, new businesses fail in the first year. Very few go on to become Amazons or apples. A second location would require a whole new set of employees filling the exact same roles for the exact same purpose. The end goal is to create and maintain peace for the employees as they manufacture their products so the business can fill orders, earn a profit, and grow. Righteousness demands that any breakdown in peace be remedied by the authority ASAP. You don't want your manufacturer workers to be fighting on the job. You don't want your, your line manager to come in drunk. You've got to deal with that. You can't afford breakdowns in delivery, breakdowns in supply chain. You have to deal with that. If there's stress among the, the middle management, you've got to deal with that because you exist to make a profit, and you make a profit to employ people, so have influence over people. You can see how authority is not for the lazy. And if you are lazy, don't worry. Most of your authority will be stripped from you, and you won't have anything to be responsible for because you've demonstrated. I don't want to put the work in to be responsible, but I want everybody else to take care of me. I think I should have what millionaires have, I think I should have what the billionaires. It's not fair that they're worth a billion dollars and I'm worth nothing. Well, they worked 95 hours a week for the last 25 years. What did you do? Smoke pot, drink beer, and play video games? You deserve nothing. But that's the mindset of socialism. Those that work hard should give to those that do squat. That's not justice, that's injustice. How about a restaurant? We'll call it management over a local diner. A mom and pop diner that only employs one cook and one server will need to add more employees as their business grows. If it grows large enough, an eventual kitchen manager and wait staff manager will be needed to oversee the two categories of employees needed to fulfill the business model. So you see the delegation of authority. It's just mom and pop. We got a cook. We got a waitress. That's all we need. But then as their business grows, we got to add some more waitresses and now the orders are heavy. We got to add another cook. That thing gets too big, we gotta find another location. Now we have a kitchen manager who oversees lots of chefs or cooks and we have a lot of serving staff. The end goal is to create and maintain peace for the employees so the patrons can enjoy their meal so they will want to return so the business can grow. Righteousness demands that any breakdown in peace be remedied by the authority ASAP. If a waitress can't do her job, you'll replace her. If the cook can't show up not drunk, or stoned, you'll replace them. If the cashier steals money, you'll fire her. You have to remedy any breakdown in peace. All authority is given to create and maintain peace. It's that simple. It looks different in every arena, but the end result is the same. Not everybody is diligent or hardworking enough to do it. So they will always be bottom rung in a culture. It should be apparent how important and great the burden of responsibility that comes with all delegated authority. Wise leaders delegate measures of their authority to help get the job done, while micromanagers make everyone miserable. So don't be a micromanager. When you're training people, you micromanage them, but at some point you have to let them go and trust them to make a few mistakes, but not mean to. You micromanage children The more you micromanage children while they're children, the less you have to manage them while they're older. If you don't want to manage them or micromanage them while they're children, don't worry, your mind's going to be on them constantly when they're 13 and 14. Pay me now or pay me later, but you're going to have to pay to raise kids and do something great. I'd much rather let the first 10 years of my kids' life be exhausting so that when they're 16, 17, and 18, I don't have to think about them. Because when you're older, you're not as durable. Jeremiah says, bear the burden in your youth. Put in all the effort and energy when they're 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 12 years old so that when they're 17, 18, 19, you don't have to worry about what they're doing. May God help us with the authorization we currently have. And I might add, so that it's not the only authorization we ever get. Amen. Father, we thank you for these lessons on the nature of authority. Help us to fulfill it. Help us to walk in it. May it bless our lives and glorify you and prosper our families. Bless those that listen in the future, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.